I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi there, my name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenny Rooney. I am the Chief Experience Officer here at Adweek, and I'm thrilled to be here with you all again today for the next uh, episode of the Marketing Vanguard podcast. I'm so excited because joining me today is a, a combination of exquisite leaders, Sarah Rabohagen. She's the CEO of Exos, and Liz Austin. She's the CMO of Exos, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you both. Thank you for being here. Awesome. Well, it's awesome to be here, Jenny. <laughs> and it's Yes, and it's great to meet you, Liz. And Sarah, it's great to see you again. I mean, the last time we saw each other, we were just talking about was probably 10 years ago. So um, I think life has probably changed for both of us in dramatic ways. Um, but here we still are. So that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yay. So we'll talk about that, you know, um, and one of the things we like to do with Marketing Vanguard podcast is, yes, talk to CMOs who are absolutely driving not just brand, but business growth within their organizations. And we do expand the, the sort of the, the community of folks we interview here to those CEOs who um, comprise a unique cohort of CEOs who have the CMO role as background in their careers. And um, the obviously the best of all is a pairing of a CEO who had been a, a CMO previously and a current sitting CMO at the same company. So that's why I'm so excited to have you both here. So we'd love to just first have you both just set the scene for us, you know, set up context as far as uh, where you've been and what you're doing now. Um, so Sarah, I'll start with you. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I should first explain I'm CEO of Exos. No one's heard of Exos. What is Exos? Um, we're a human uh, coaching company. So we're a bunch of amazing coaches that uh, we coach everyone from 
uh, professional athletes actually through to corporate executives. Um, and we, we say we get you ready for the moments that matter. And that could be a really tough board meeting or preparing to run a 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. We kind of do it all. And how I landed here, Jenny, was um, actually you and I were, we knew each other when I was running Gatorade. And back in those days, we were repositioning Gatorade against sort of high performance. And that was when I met the founder of what is Exos <laughs> all uh, those years ago. All those years ago. And then we reconnected uh, at the end of 2019. He says, hey, come and um, join us. We're going to really grow this business. And I was like, how exciting. At the time, we were an exclusively bricks and mortar operation. And I began as the pandemic started. I can, mm. So it was, a, it was a really interesting time to to join the company, but honestly, a fantastic time because nothing like a crisis to to get a team like operating at their best, which is what we've done. And then along the way, I was lucky enough to uh, to bring Liz on board because we really needed an amazingly unique expe- expertise, particularly on the B two B side, that Liz could bring to us. So wonderful. So Liz, why don't you bring us up to speed? Yes, I've worked in marketing largely my whole career mostly in the B2B world, but I've done B2B to C. Um, And so that was a sort of unique skill set that Exos needed. And um, I feel like I landed my dream job coming to Exos (laughs) because A, I get to work for a CEO who was a marketer and that's so rare kind of in the B2B world. Um, normally you're, you're kind of doing a lot of explaining about what marketing is and how it can drive the business. And Sarah just fundamentally knows that. And then B, I just, I love the company. I've always wanted to work in the health and wellness space. And I think that Exos methodology really has the ability to have such a huge impact on people's lives. So I got to ask about that. Do you guys actually, ladies, do you actually connect dots between Human performance and business performance for these individuals. Yeah. Okay. So hundred <laughs> percent. Um, because now more than ever, yes. I mean, but always, you know, getting any granularity around what companies can do to level up and 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 drive growth is just paramount. Um, I'm sure there's a whole dynamic of the way you do that, but that's why you're a B2B essentially, B2B to C, because obviously the end user is a is a person, a human being who is monitoring his or her, you know, or their health, their wellness, their output, their performance, as you said, um, and their impact, right, within organizations. So I'm sure that's something that you both do. Uh, It's very, probably very meta, right? You're probably also doing that for yourselves as business leaders. Um, Tell me a little bit about, so, you know, um, Sarah, you obviously transitioned from B to straight B to C, you know, into this category, which is unique. Yeah. Talk about that transition and how hard it was for you, or, but also perhaps how easy it was and how it made sense for you personally. Yeah, it's super hard, actually, because thank goodness I was able to hire this because I'd never done B2B before and huge learning curve. That said, and Jenny, going back to your point about how meta everything is, is think about the shift to uh, hybrid work, the blurring of work, the mental health crisis, all of the things that are happening that our company solves for. And actually, ultimately, all of the brands that are really killing it in the B2B world, especially B2B2C, are consumer-facing brands that know how to really build a strong value proposition for the end-use consumer. So in a weird way, it was like, oh gosh, we do need to do that because we need to get 
our end use consumers to understand why in this moment we are a really credible solution for them that I think if we hadn't had a bunch of that skill set blended in with the B2B, it would have been even harder, I would say. Yeah. Yep. And I'm sorry, Liz, you've come up through the B2B space solely. Is that correct? Mostly. Yes. Yeah. I have had done, I've had some experience doing B2C, but the bulk of my career has been B2B. So the only thing I want to ask you just following that point is, you know, I would imagine this is an expense for for companies that's additive, that's incremental to probably how they've otherwise thought about, you know, their, honestly, their expenses. So how do you position, I'm just curious, you know, how do you position it um, to companies so that they think of it as an investment Mm -hmm. as opposed to an additional expense? I would say to start with, if you go back to, you know, before the pandemic, we were predominantly... Um, a benefit for employees. Got it. Yep. The, the the buyer was marketing us as a benefit, as a reason for you to join the company because we're we're better like health, fitness, and performance services than the next company. Fast forward to now, this is really interesting stat. The number one reason people come and use EXO services now is to do with mental wellness, and mm-hmm. that was not the case before the pandemic. And HR professionals everywhere are really struggling with the mental wellness of the workforce. It's not news to any of us. So I think it's gone from, oh my gosh, this is a great benefit to, and oh my gosh, we need this really importantly for our best talent to keep them, you know, at the top of the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I'm going to talk with you individually in a second, um, but you know, I just have to ask at the top of this because it is such an interesting dynamic to have a CEO, um, leading who had been a CMO and, you know, working directly with uh, the company's CMO. Um, how do you sort of shake, maybe this is an erroneous assumption on my part, but Sarah, how do you shake that? There's so much, when you're a CMO, there's so much passion for the business. There's so much passion for the brand. Not that the, there isn't when you're a CEO, but it's almost like it's your baby, right? It's like, oh, you have so much tied of yourself tied up in that. So how is it, is it hard? A, do you agree with that, uh, that, that, you know, that, assumption and it's okay if no, but also if that is the case, how do you think about sort of giving up or giving the reins over or thinking about, you know, all the things that about, about you that define you as a CMO, you know, there's so much inherent there and yet you, you have to, you know, advance into the CEO role and trust your CMO implicitly. And and there needs to be a dynamic there, but it must be hard, right. To kind of. It's a really interesting question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that before. Because it is, I fully agree with you, CMOs have all the heart. And that means when you, you know, become a CEO, you are leading, like every day I am lying away at night, I'm thinking about consumer facing things, brand facing things. Like Because that's where you're, you come, that's where you come yeah. from. Your mind thinks that way. Well, yeah. Sure, you can't, yeah. not. but I also would say, I, I genuinely mean this, like the further I have gone up in my career, I've really enjoyed like the challenge of learning the other functions that I'm not so strong in, Yeah, which makes me feel so much more confident when I have an amazing CMO. Cause I'm like, okay, I can just go, I'm out of there now because I know I've got a great leader. And I genuinely find now I enjoy the 
kind of integration of understanding all the pieces, like the intellectual challenge for me is, is a lot of fun. And so that's probably made up for the loss. If that yep. And Liz, from your standpoint, talk about what it means to be a CMO working for a CEO who had been a CMO. I mean, you can speak the same language, you know, you probably know each other shorthand because you, you know, talk about the opportunities and challenges of that for sure. It's such a gift. I mean, it really is such a gift. And, you know, Sarah gives me a lot of leeway, but there are times where I will want her counsel because of her background and working for these amazing brands and her consumer sensibility. So she's a terrific thought partner when we're we're trying to solve, you know, kind of gnarly issues and that sort of thing. (laughs) So I found it to be just a, a real gift in my career because, I think having a CEO that's been a CMO, probably you get more career development than you would from kind of your traditional CEO who comes through the finance ranks or the sales ranks or the product ranks, right? So Totally. And like support for the decisions and the investments and the creativity and, you know, which, um, you know, and every case is different, but arguably, you know, most CMOs have to advocate for themselves and advocate for marketing um, as a critical function, you know, within organizations that I would imagine is, is just not there when you're working for, with somebody who had come up through that. Um, now I want to talk about you both individually, um, but these are questions that I typically ask of my guests. And, and the first is just tell me something, you know, we're, we're also obsessed with profile and public facing persona and um, social media and, and tell me something about yourselves, your work or your expertise that isn't reflected in your LinkedIn profile. Go, Liz. <laughs> I have this. Um, You're an avid windsurfer. No, well, no. <laughs> I have this sort of oddball secret talent where I have um, a really keen sensibility for landscape design. And wow. I can build like these beautiful secret gardens. And it's something that my father and my grandmother both had. So I don't know if it's like imprinted in our English DNA to have like a beautiful English garden or something. Oh my God. It's a very random kind of quirky (laughs) skill, but I have it. But it's creativity and it's, yes, it's precision from nothing. Yeah. 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 That is so cool. And Sarah? Um, it's funny. I, I'm actually reflecting it may be a bit of the answer to your last question because I do need my CMO-ish fix. And I would say <laughs> what I do in my personal time, I love uh, staging really ridiculously experiential parties for people. Like I, 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 so once, um, I once staged a mini Olympics in my neighborhood for about oh. 10 families. And we had, we competed. We did the whole march around the neighborhood with flags from our countries. Like, oh and my God. Because I think, I don't know, sometimes I still like to, you know, the creative, it's the creative side. Yeah. Well, that'll, that goes into my, actually a question that I would have asked a little bit later, but let's go right there. You know, I talk to so, so many CMOs these days who are like, I, you know, when I say, what do you need? And, and they go straight to, I need inspiration. Right. And it's just like, it's something that you probably don't always think about, but to hear them candidly say that it's, you know, because it is, it is a creative practice. It is a creative leadership um, no matter which way. And creativity, by the way, is defined in so many different ways. I don't think, I certainly am not defining it as just, you know, advertising or campaigns or logos. It's it's true creativity and how your teams work together, how you think about communication, how do you think about narrative, all those things, even org design. So 
you know, but we need sources of inspiration. And I think, you know, especially coming out of COVID where people were so limited in their ability to travel or see things or do things. Um, just curious now in this moment, you know, where do you both go f- uh, for that inspiration fix? Either of you. Oh, you want me to go? Okay. Um, well, I'll start. I, um, I typically, I look at things like art, culture, nature, um, but I definitely am always kind of seeing what other brands are doing because you may see something that, oh, that's such a unique idea and how could I apply it to my business? But I think the biggest thing for me is just finding regular time mm-hmm. to quiet my mind because I always find that's where I have the really big creative unlock. So for me, that's just mm-hmm. like I have to kind of carve out that time, whether it's a walk in nature or meditation or mm-hmm. doing a doing if I'm short on time I'll do an exos uh recharge break you know you've got to you've just got to kind of build that in yeah that's great Sarah it's she did she literally just explained all of the science because like what our coaches at work actually there's amazing science around if you move your body for like just a walk even outside for about 25 minutes before sitting down to be creative your brain actually will get into flow state much quicker. And wow. so it's so funny, like, cause we're all the beautiful thing about hybrid work. And now many of us are at home is you can flex your schedule. Like if a creative person like Liz or the marketing team has to do some writing, you could choose to go for your walk or your run halfway through the day, you know? So I'm a little bit like Liz, I do a lot of um, listening to podcasts and just stuff to get my brain thinking from other places while I'm out walking or running and stuff like that. That makes a big difference. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, You know, the other question I want to ask you is, and we're going to go into the successes that you've had, but um, I get asked the question a lot or I'm, I'm, I'm people share with me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired about hearing about all the wins, successes and great things that happen. (laughs) We learn the best from failure or mistakes and as marketers, we're all making them, right? I mean, it's just, it goes without saying. So, um, and literally people have said, I just want to hear about the bad things that are happening, you know, because it's like, there we, we know, I mean, this industry is just so dramatically changing every single day. And so there's no way you can't, you can't take missteps. What's an example of a misstep or something you chose not to do, um, or even a flat out failure that you learn from and the benefit from that learning, um, you know, negated any sort of loss you might've, um, withstood through that mistake or, or that errant decision. I got to go first. Cause I'm so passionate about this topic, Jenny. So first of all, I would encourage your listeners to look up my LinkedIn profile because I've listed all my failures very boldly in my profile because yeah. I actually do believe for me personally, and I've found this talking to so many senior executives, the real screw-ups are the ones inevitably that actually shape you getting to a better place afterwards. And I uh, I got fired twice in my 20s. <laughs> like, I mean, it's about as bad as it gets. But I'm absolutely convinced that it was both of those instances, the first one in particular, like learning humility, owning what you did in the in the problem, like, figuring out actually how to dig deep and go, can I survive? I mean, I almost got deported from the United States because I lost my job. You know, I didn't have a visa. And then years later, when you're leading through a pandemic, 
you've got a much stronger resilience to go, we're going to be okay, you know. So I, I'm such a big believer, particularly for marketers, to be creative and to break through creatively. You have to have the courage to swing and you might miss and it's okay. Like yeah. <laughs> you're going to learn from it. Yeah. Liz, yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think for me, like as I reflect back, I think my biggest failures were all around not taking the big swings because mm. I didn't really trust in myself enough. And like, mm. I felt like maybe I didn't have enough experience or the right title to put an idea forward. And some of them were good ideas and they just kind of sat on this shelf, right? And so I think I learned over time to just trust myself and have faith in my ideas and to try things, even if it wasn't going to work. And then you, as you go along, you kind of learn the art of selling an idea across an organization to leadership. But as I look back on my younger self, it was like, I just wish I had had more confidence and in my abilities. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. Um, you're both very, obviously very, <clears throat> excuse me, sports and, and health and wellness minded. Um I always like to ask this question to get reference for how you think about yourselves as leaders. And let's say you're on a soccer field, um, use that sport as, as a point of reference, or you can insert whatever sport you choose in this question, but you're a player on a soccer team. Are you at the striker position trying to score the goals? Are you at the midfield line trying to sort of basically be that connective tissue between the strikers and the, and the goalie and the defensive players, or are you a defensive player who's just protecting the goal at all costs from offensive strikes? So I, I'm not the biggest soccer person, but my understanding of playing the midfield is that they're strong utility players. And so I would go with that because I've been told I'm a really strong utility yeah, player cool. and I'll play where the team needs me and I'm able to kind of flex around and, you know, do a lot of things. So yeah. uh, I'll go with, I'll go with midfield. Awesome. <laughs> I was thinking definitely earlier in my career and as a CMO, a, a D to C CMO, I think I would have said striker because I definitely swung big in big consumer brands. But actually now I would say I'm actually the coach. I'm not even on the field yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love sure. that. I love it. I actually, it's funny, I prefer the role now that I don't know if I would have earlier on. Yeah. You prefer the that coach, coach role. Yeah. 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 Right, but you had to go through that process of of being the striker and yeah. and really just owning it and yeah. <laughs> being really aggressive. Not that you don't yeah. own it now, it's but you know what I mean. A lot of missed goals, you know. <laughs> yeah. But very bold, but very bold. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yes. Um, now, listen, you're both. I mean, you both collaborate with each other, but who are the other folks in the organization that you really, really are your best collaborators? The ones you need to lean on or work with to be successful, other than each other. Liz, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't want to single anyone out because we really kind of had it, have an ethos at, at Exos that greatness is a team sport. So, like, the whole team really makes me great. And, you know, my direct reports are amazing. Um, I lean into typically, like, three types of profiles. So, like, the first one will be really the big creative thinker because that type of personality energizes me yep. and then I always love to have like the right hand the right hander right where you just give them a project and they run and they get it done yeah and then the third one is just that person who's a really linear thinker who's sort of 
contrarian to me and makes me look at things in new ways. That yeah. yeah. See, like helps me see around the corners that I might not be peeking around. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll go with that. Those, those three profiles are. Yeah. So the challenge, somebody who challenges you and really, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love debate personally, hmm. you know, and I just, I like to have ideas, but also just create environments where I like, I want to, you know, great ideas come from anywhere and anyone in the org and just, you know, having that openness to say, I, I don't have all the answers I need to hear what you think the solution is. And so, you know, and it might not be the place where you feel you you would always feel comfortable, but that's such an, I use the word energizing. That's such an energizing dynamic for me personally, but Sarah, your thoughts. It's funny. I, I am a wild extrovert, if you can't tell. I have, I never did this by intention, but now I look back, my greatest roles, I've always collaborated closely with introverts. Like for some reason, I'm very drawn to introverts. I'm married to an introvert. And I think because I tend to, my brain is a real multitasking, big horizon brain. And sometimes someone to just to slow me down and just make me slow, take it in, really think about what I'm doing from multiple angles will often unlock thinking that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And it seems to always work for me. And it's funny, um, the company we both now work at, Mark, our founder, is not only an introvert, but he's also a a coach. He founded the company. He's a coach, human performance coach. And I've learned that I need that too. Like even as a CEO, you're, it's a lonely role at the top, but having someone that is going to push you and, and support you, but you know, that the role of a good coach, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, so this is, this is another question. Um, might, might be difficult to answer cause I'm springing it on you, but if, if you want to defer, you can, but I'm increasingly uh, interested in this notion of and definition of CMOs as being indispensable to their organizations. And I think that's just so necessary now. How, uh, Liz, how can you be indispensable uh, within the organization? And Sarah, how can Liz be indispensable? So, um, yeah, I think with with a CMO, you really need to be a partner to the leadership team instead of kind of the traditional sort of marketing communications function where you're executing, right? You have to really partner with them to understand what are the business drivers that are going to create value, right? Across the organization. So um, really just working at a high level as a sort of business strategist with your leadership team and then translating that down in the team into executional programs, right, that that help drive the business forward. And I think that's how marketers can really be indispensable as a, mm. as a driver of growth. Mm. And it's crazy that we're even having to ask that question, right? I mean, yeah. you never say CFOs are, are always indispensable, right? <laughs> it's just like, right? No, but it's just, but Sarah, from your perspective, yeah. having, having been one, of yes. course, and now having uh, in the CEO role, what's your perspective? Yeah. I actually think even more so than ever, the CMO is indispensable because in a world increasingly driven by data, what defines and differentiates great companies, great brands, great consumer value props is the art as well as the science. And the CMO brings the art. And and I think I also think great strategy is knowing when to say no. And you know, usually your salespeople want to say yes to everything as they should. 
but the CMO being the the kind of like voice of we actually have to make choices and say no to build credibility and brand and depth and all these things. Mm. Such an important voice at the table for me. Such an important voice. <laughs> I love that though, but it's yeah. it's so true. It is the power of no. But I feel like we're living in a time where CMOs may feel like they have to, it's yes, yes, yes. Let's go, go, go. Let's, yeah. you know, and that's a very yeah. challenging environment. Um, totally. For sure. Um, what, you know, scares you the most, keeps you up at night and, and what do you overdo to overcome those fears? I mean, obviously we have so many things happening right now, cultural societal issues. We have, you know, economic issues. We have, um, tech, you know, new emerging tech every single day, it feels like, and, and, you know, just like headlines in journalism, they're here. Sometimes it feels like they're here one day and gone tomorrow and you don't know which one to really focus on, invest in and pursue. So of all of that or anything else, what's sort of the one thing that, yeah, I mean, I think technology is just an enabler. So for me, it, it, I, it doesn't really. Daunt, you know, it's not daunting. Yeah, right. So if you don't get caught up in the bright, shiny objects, it's really just enabler for your strategy. But for me, my mm. biggest thing, um, fear is letting people down, like not bringing mm. my best, not showing up for people mm. on a day-to-day basis. And so the way that I overcome that is through some of the tools that, you know, I, I talked about earlier is like meditation or movement um, because it just really helps to ground you and live in the moment. And um, honestly, it helps level up your performance. So, yeah. yeah. Sarah. God, a lot of things scare me, particularly because I'm raising teenagers who are about to enter the workforce. And, but I think through the lens of the profession of marketing, I do think one thing that really scares me is a generation of marketers that are coming through so driven by the data side and not learning the art, the combination oh. of the art side. And because we swung the pendulum so far that way. And it, it, it's funny, like you, because I grew up, I was incredibly lucky to grow up in that era, you know, working at companies like Nike and Virgin that were very, instinctual like really deeply understanding consumers understanding big ideas and what's going to land and that is the role of the marketer if you want to create something that's not the same as the rest of the market and as we move towards AI and all these things that are coming I'm like we've got to still teach our marketers just to know how to read human behavior and know what's going to land listen when you were saying I mean um when you said before the piece about, you know, um, creativity, I mean, it's interesting you had said that because I was about to say we've swung so far into obsession with data and analytics and yeah, I mean, the precision piece, especially with AI, you know, it just drills it down to just the, you know, um, it, it's, and it, 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 differentiation completely goes away, you know, in the, in the, um, in the quest for, relevance. And I think that's something that that is very uh, concerning for sure. Um, We'll be right back with more Marketing Vanguard after this quick break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, uh, Sarah Liz, let's, let's talk about, I mean, we did just talk about reference metrics, but because they are still so important, let's let's talk about the metrics that matter to you, to your marketing team and the board. And in that Venn diagram, where do they connect? Yeah, I'll start. Um, we're a very metrics-driven organization. We, Sarah and I always try to balance between the art and science, right? Because it is a balance and there's absolutely a place for metrics. Um, so obviously, of course, our board is sort of oriented around revenue, our CFO, Similarly, but he uh, traditionally looked at sort of sales pipeline and what you know what what how how's what what is the pipeline looking like as we move forward? And then my team is always looking at campaign and channel performance, but sort of in the middle of that, the connective thread across all of that from a marketing standpoint is a marketing qualified lead because that's an indication that somebody is an interested buyer, and then we hand that over to sales. But there are a load of other metrics that we look at, so I'll, I'll pass it over to Sarah. Yeah, no, I think Liz nailed it. We definitely, you know, we think a lot about the MQL as the ultimate output of the health of the brand and, you know, the, the ability of the brand and our marketing effort to attract demand, but then obviously revenue, growth, retention, you know, all that good stuff. Um, client and member satisfaction is a big one for us because mm-hmm. that indicates are we going to get more referral. But then the last thing I would say that's uniquely important to us as a company that we track a lot is internal cultural metrics, both uh, engagement but also performance. Is this, a, is this an environment where our team feel like they can uh, perform at their best? Because ultimately, to the, your point about being meta, that is what drives the entire business, but it also is how we prove to our clients that, you know, we, we've learned a lot that we can share with them. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, you're your own test case every time, yeah. right? So um, that's fascinating. Um, you know, we talk about when we use the name of this podcast as Marketing Vanguard and, and the word Vanguard literally defined means a group of people leading the way in new developments or ideas. Um you know, to create lasting change in, in, in something. And so what's an example of a development or an idea that you each have individually or collectively had that led the way for your company or your industry or culture and society in a way that's truly been lasting and meaningful? I'll, I'll go first. Like, I think it's happening right now. So it's so funny, like Liz with her leadership combined with our performance innovation team, and a lot of like serendipitous walking through the world and how it's changing and the future of work is changing. And we realized that we were in a unique position to help companies understand how to drive culture that drives performance. 
And so we actually just launched uh, what we call our readiness culture code, which includes a very big um, data-driven experiment around the four-day work week and helping people to understand to get higher performance. And it's amazing how, to your point about moving the world forward, the, the response we've had because everyone's trying to crack the code on this. And uh, I think it was just that unique like the two sides of our performance team digging around and Liz and her team going, hey, this is actually a really important idea that the world needs to know about. And Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really interesting rollout. So we rolled it out internally, but we're also partnering with Adam Grant and Wharton to do some research across for six months across our um, employee base. So we're, we're actually studying them to see what are the benefits of this type of working ca- cadence, um, how do people respond to it? Does it increase productivity? Um, are there certain flow triggers that that we can help employees get to, and that sort of thing? So we're, it's a it's a really uh, it's a really fun time to be at Exos because I think it's something that's so needed in the corporate work world. A hundred percent. And then from just a true business growth perspective, you know, what have you done? Uh, recently that you feel very proud about and that's really just focused on uh, driving the business forward and unlocking, um, you know, any sort of challenges you've had from a business standpoint? Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly, the beginning of the pandemic was an extraordinary challenge. Like at the time, you know, we ran four or 500 gym sites around the world. Can you imagine? Like, (laughs) oh my gosh. But we also have thousands of uh, coaches that we just overnight pivoted to, like we literally said we had no great technology at the time. We were like, we don't care how you reach your clients, just reach them, support them. And it ended up being everything from, as you would expect, workouts to literally like breath work. As Liz said, often teams of people just saying, I'm so stressed out, you know, help me. And the coach would do like, a 15 minute like down regulation breath work session at the end of the day or coffee with the coach on it. I can't deal with my nutrition, all these things that were sort of randomly happening, but we were able to sort through them to turn into what are now our really, really awesome um, digital delivery offerings. So we, we've, uh, we've launched some big new products into the marketplace off the back of all those insights. And so it was unbelievably hard as the pandemic was happening to us, but I actually think it accelerated our ability to create and bring these new products to market because suddenly the demand was so high. Yeah. Liz, anything else you want to add to that? Yeah. And I think with that comes a whole sort of repositioning. What's your value prop? What's your strategic narrative? So that my team has spent spent a ton of time on that. Um, We've also built out a demand generation engine, user acquisition engine. So all these other sort of capabilities that kind of follow on to the, to launching that into the market. Um, I'm really proud of the, the, the work that my team has done to get us there for sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, Sarah, what brings you back to your Gatorade or Nike or version days? Like what, you know, what are the, just give us an example. Um, Oh my gosh. All the time, actually. Like one of the things I just love about Exos is it's the, the culture is very, very special. Um, but it reminds me a lot of early days of those two companies, you know, it's like, um, and there's a lot of people with a very similar passion, um, but I would also say where 
we're, we're trying to do similar things in terms of, you know, we started off in elite athletic performance. We moved to military. We moved to corporate B2B employer world. And it's not that unlike Nike, you know, running to basketball, moving across. And it takes a lot of work to get there. And it also takes an enormous amount from a change management standpoint. But it's so rewarding when you do, you know. Well, you are, you remember the Gatorade journey, same thing, yeah. from drinks to, to other products. So it's definitely, you know, these are not small um, adventures to embark upon, but super, super worth it when you get to the other side, I would say. That's that's great. That's great. Uh, the last question I want to ask you both is um, because, you know, sort of the spirit of, of the Marketing Vanguard po- podcast is um, a bit of a pay it forward and also shining a light on, on new and emerging marketers and, and CMOs who perhaps um, haven't been as much in the spotlight or uh, we don't know as much about or just other industry leaders who are doing a lot for the practice of marketing and marketing leadership. So the question is, who's next? You know, who would be the next industry leader or, or executive that you recommend we interview for the Marketing Vanguard podcast? Go, Liz. So, you know, I recently saw something with, um, and I don't think she's emerging. She's, she's been sure. in her role for a while, but Sally Sussman yeah. from Pfizer. And I think what a fascinating bird's eye view she's had of, you know, the course of the pandemic. And it's just like a master class in communication. Yeah, so I've been, I follow her on LinkedIn and I see yeah. some of the things she's posting and it's fascinating. Great, yeah. great, great suggestion. Thank you. I was going to suggest um, Lauren Hobart, CEO Dix, because she is a former, she and I were peers at PepsiCo actually. And I'm just so blown away by what she's gone on to do at Dix. And also not for nothing, but lots of effort obviously around women and girls in sports, which is so important. But secondly, through the pandemic, I mean, that whole industry you know, headwinds, tailwinds, headwinds. I just think the leadership challenge would be extraordinary. So I'd love to hear her talk about it. Yeah. And then she's just made two great hires there. Yep. So there's just, you know, uh, Denise Carcos um, yep. and and a new CMO. And it's yep. just like, it's exciting yep. to see. And I think she's always been um, such a representative of, of great leadership in a company. So, and marketing prowess, obviously. Totally. So um, two exceptional choices. Thank you both so much. I love that you asked that question. That's really cool. Amazing. Question. Oh, good. Well, it's fun because it's just, you know, it's, listen, I mean, I think we always are, we always want to learn, right, from new, from new people. And I think that's where we just sort of expand the community and the, and the focus of, of people who are driving change in this industry. So um, thank you. And you, you two are representative of that. So thank you both so much for being with me here today. And um, I look forward to talking with you again very soon and hopefully seeing you in person. Yes, that would be awesome. Thank you for having us. This was super fun. That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? 
Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.